Our scripture passage today comes from uh, 2 Peter, uh, chapter 3, and uh, verses 8 through 10, and then picking up again at 13. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving out the fire and brimstone today, and like I said in the morning, there may be someone who needs the fire and brimstone, but you can go home and read that. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. This is the word of God for the people of God. So this is our second Sunday in Advent, and we have uh, lit the second candle, which is the candle of peace. And each of our four weeks in Advent, we celebrate one of the gifts of God given to us at Christmas, right? hope, peace, joy, and love. And today is that day when we celebrate this gift, this promise of peace. And yet we have to ask the question, where is this peace? You know, I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning, I usually am checking uh, the news to see if there was some shooting or bombing overnight or some horrible thing has happened in our world. We don't have to look very far to know that our world is not really any more peaceful uh, than the world in which Jesus was born. And so today we ask this question about this promise of peace that we receive in Christ and how we can claim this promise of peace. Now, this Advent season is a time of uh, reflection, a time of anticipation and preparation for the coming of Christ. But the season of Advent differs in some important ways from the season of Lent, where we're also doing some reflecting. In Lent, we are thinking about our human condition, our sins and our shortcomings and our brokenness. In Advent, we are facing ourselves toward God and remembering what God has done in Jesus Christ at Christmas to bring us our salvation. 
At Lent, we turn inward and reflect upon ourselves. At Advent, we turn outward and gaze upon the babe born in the manger in Bethlehem. This season of Advent is about God and what God is doing in the world, has done in the world and promises to do in the world in the future. This season is about God. Because without this gift of Christ, there is no salvation. There's no story. There's no hope. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's no love. It is all about God's action in the word become flesh in Emmanuel. Now, there is a second thing about Advent that we really need to pay attention to. And that is that Advent has two different sides to it. And we need to pay attention to both of them. So on the one hand, we spend our time looking back to the past, to that baby born in the manger and remembering that wonderful act. But on the other hand, we are also looking to the future and anticipating the second coming of Christ, that return to complete what was begun at Bethlehem. We are looking both to the beginning and to the completion, which both occur in Jesus Christ. And so we, people, live in between. We live between that past, that beginning, and the promised end when Jesus returns to complete what has been started in Bethlehem. This is where this letter from uh, Peter comes in and helps us understand uh, our Advent season. Now, in this letter, uh, he's probably writing three or four decades after the death and resurrection of Christ. And so the first Christians had been all on fire uh, for Jesus and doing everything they needed to do because they were expecting that tomorrow, or at least the next day, Jesus was going to return and finish this, and they wanted to be ready when he returned. But then days turned into weeks and weeks into months and months into years and still Christ had not come to complete the promised restoration and redemption. And so some of them began to doubt and some of them began to fall away. They had let go of a lot of that expectation and anticipation of Christ's return. It's actually quite a bit like children in the Christmas season. And so in December, we'll say to our kids or our grandkids, hey, you better be good. Santa is coming. But just try that same line in, oh, say, July. You better be good. Santa is coming. And they're like, yeah, whatever. That's an eon away. That's not anytime soon. And so these Christians in uh, Peter's day were uh, becoming more like uh, they were in July than they were in December. You and I, we're, we're more like we are in uh, March or we're in February than we are in December. We do not expect the imminent arrival of Jesus Christ, even though uh, we should live like that. And part of the problem is that we live in history. God exists in eternity. So in this history, our little 2,000 years, well, in God's eyes, that's two seconds. That's a blink of the eye. 
That's nothing in the whole time span of eternity. And so in between, while we wait, we are to keep our eyes on God and expect Christ to come again. So Peter writes to his church and he says, look guys, you need to hold fast to the faith which you began with. You need to know that the promises of God are true, that God is faithful to this. And you know, you need to live your lives so that if Christ comes today, you would be found ready. You would be found committed and expectant. And yet, if there's one thing we know as Christians, we should be expecting the unexpected. Uh, you will remember that in the first century, the religious leaders and the people were expecting the Messiah to return. But what they were expecting was a great political military leader, another King David, who was going to restore the nation of Israel to its glory days, to its greatness. And instead, what they got was this baby born in a manger in a stinky stable on the outskirts of society. This baby who would grow up to reject political and military solutions, who would reject human power as the answer to what ails us in this world and say, focus on God. It is only through God and the power of God that we find peace and reconciliation and a new world. If we want to find peace in this world, it can only be found in and through the gift of Jesus Christ come into our world here and now. Now, when we think of this thing, peace, most of the time we think about the absence of conflict. And certainly it does mean that, but in a biblical sense, peace is a much deeper and richer kind of word. In the Hebrew, the word shalom, which we translate as peace, really means more than the absence of conflict. It means healing. It means wholeness. It means the fullness of life. It means being able to be who God created you to be. That's shalom. So when Jesus says to his disciples, my peace I leave with you, or walks into the room and says, peace be with you, he's saying shalom, healing and wholeness and well-being I bring to you, I give to you. And in this here and now, this peace, this shalom, this rich understanding of the peace of Christ is present to us if we will unwrap that gift, claim it, and share it with others. There is no reconciliation, there is no peace unless we give and receive that gift of peace. Of course, the peace of the entire earth belongs to God and that return of Christ, but you and I as followers of Christ are to live in a way where we are giving and receiving peace, that peace of God, that reconciliation. I'm sure that most of us at some point have seen uh, the old movie, Remember the Titans, a good football movie for football season. And it's the mostly true story of uh, a high school in, uh, in 
the Days of Integration, 1971, in Alexandria, Virginia. And the school is being integrated, and they hire uh, the African-American head coach, Herman Boone, who's supposed to bring together the white players and the black players and make them into one team. Now, of course, that whole town is divided. It's segregated. Uh, they don't like this idea of having to integrate, and the players don't like this idea of, in of integrating, and they're fighting each other, and they, you know, they can't uh, understand each other's uh, clothes and music and culture and their way of doing things. And gradually, though, some of the players begin to see the gifts and the grace in the other person. And they begin to pull together and actually push out those who want to continue to divide the team. And in fact, the co-captains, Julius and Gary, they become good friends. And so finally, at one point, Julius, who's the African-American, he finally gets up the courage to go across town to the white neighborhood so he can visit his friend Gary at his own home. And there he's stopped by a police officer. Let's watch the clip. It could be something good had begun for a Oh, Heck of a game boys played last night. Thank you. Thank you, officer. Best defense I've seen in 20 years. Tell that coach yours to keep up the good work. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Our story of Christmas is a story of peace and reconciliation, but we have to open our arms to embrace the other. When we see the image of God in our brother and our sister, peace is present. When we treat others as if they are a child of God, peace is present. When we empower others to live into the fullness of who God created them to be, peace is present. Yes, we live in a world that is still a difficult place. But in these in-between times as we await the return of Jesus, that babe in a manger tells us that we have the gift here and now of peace, of reconciliation, of embracing and living one to the other in this season of Advent. If we can keep our eyes focused on God, the gift of peace can become real. Peace be with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.